Good morning. My name is Kay Silbert. I am the student pastor here. We're going to ask two questions this morning. The first question is going to be, what is it to make a faith claim? And the second question, question I want to ask is, what is it to have a relationship with God? We're actually going to answer the second one first, but let's just talk about what we in our American culture, when we ask these questions, where do we look for answers as a society? And St. Augustine actually said uh, that, that you have to be formally educated to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. But yet we will go and we'll watch Oprah and we'll seek out this answer. Well, what does Oprah say? And Oprah says there are many paths to the same place. And we should be accepting, uh, accepting of all people, of all walks of faith. As a nation, we turn to Joel Osteen, who has the largest church in our nation, over 35,000 members. Who Joel Osteen, if we're looking at Augustine and we're, we're going back and saying is the guy formally educated, he began his education at Oral Roberts University and actually left, did not finish, and went and worked behind the scenes, I believe as a cameraman, in his father's TV ministry. Was ordained to the ministry by six members of Lakewood down in Houston. And when he took over as the pastor of a 6,000 member church, he had spoken one time. And Osteen preaches a gospel of prosperity. Who says, if you know Jesus, God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be successful. And that is clearly not as what's communicated in God's Word. The generation that's coming up is now asking YouTube. They're asking Facebook. They're asking whatever reality TV show is on. For the answers to these questions. Our children are growing up in a society who has fully now embraced the idea of tolerance and truth is now relative. To the point where our kids are beginning to question, is there truth at all? Guys, we are in just a mess if you didn't know that. However, looks very similar to the Roman culture did in the day that the four people that we're going to look at today that wrote. Roman culture was just a, a smorgasbord of uh, like a religious buffet. You could pick and choose what you wanted to believe, what you wanted to practice, as long as it was on the legalized list of religions, which Christianity was not until 312 A.D., so it did not include Jesus. But yet, this is the time frame in the culture when these guys met. But the two questions we're going to ask, we're going to look at uh, James, we're going to look at John, we're going to look at Matthew, who quoted Jesus, and then we're going to reference Paul. We're going to deal mainly, excuse me, mainly in two books, starting in James. If you'll turn to James chapter 1, James begins his address, much like Paul will, in most of his writings, and James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. James begins his writing with a faith claim. James says, I am a servant of God by aligning myself with the person of Jesus Christ. I know God because I know Jesus. I know God because I've made an allegiance with Jesus. Not only just allegiance, but I am living out a relationship with Jesus. And James begins as I am writing with authority from God through the person of Jesus Christ. 
which is completely opposite from what we see from Oprah, who says we are all on multiple paths going to the same place. Because John 14, 6 says, Jesus is quoted, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father. No man comes to God. Unless through me. And James has aligned himself with that. James writes to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, same, quote, or same phrase we see in, in John 7.35. It's either to the actual uh, Israelites who have been scattered abroad through just the process of life and everything that's gone with, on with their nation, or it can be translated just as a reference to God's people who are scattered all over the place. Regardless, this book, this letter that James writes, is, is great for us to look at, to read, and, and, and answer the questions. What is it to have a relationship with God? What is it to make a faith claim? And we're going to turn to chapter 2 in verse 14, which is pretty much where James gets really sporty. Yeah. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? James says, if somebody comes and they don't have the necessities of life, and you say, go, be warm and satisfied, and yet you do nothing to physically provide for them, James begins with, what good is it? And he ends and says, and I ask you again, what good is it that you made that statement? He answers for us in verse 17. He says, in the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Or for dead here is dead, useless, worthless. It has been cut off and there's no longer any use for it. James calls two witnesses. He calls Abraham and then he calls Rahab. Abraham, obviously, major figure in the Old Testament who is the father of our faith, who was called by God to take his son Isaac and offer him on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And Abraham responded in obedience, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He was justified by his actions, by his response to God's call on his life. James goes on to say, And Rahab... As the spies went into the city of Jericho, who Rahab, having limited knowledge of God, only knowing that this nation was moving in from Egypt and taking over, and that this God, their God, was the only true God, and her response to what she knew was to deny herself, to deny everything she'd known that she'd grown up with, with her countrymen, and do what she could to align herself with God, that what she knew was true. And James says, because of Rahab's response to God's call, to who God is, it was credited to her as righteousness. She was justified by her response to who God is. And James finishes out this little section in verse 26 and says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I can translate a little better. The body without breath is dead. Your physical body, if it contains no oxygen coming in and out, it then dies. 
And the body that you are in that is no longer breathing is now useless. It is now worthless. And it is on its way to decaying into nothing. We would put it in a bag or in a box and drop it in a hole and cover it up and grass will grow over. As the body without breath is dead, is useless, is worthless, so is a claim to faith with no action. I'm going to go to Matthew. You're all wondering where in Matthew. I'm going to Matthew 16. where Matthew quotes, quotes Jesus in verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, this is after Peter has made a confession of who Christ is, and then Jesus has predicted his death, and Peter has basically said, that's not going to happen to you, and Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block, and you, your mind is set on the things of men and not on the things of God. So he turns to his disciples and said, if any, if any one of you would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He says, if any of you would come behind me. You must deny yourself and pick up your object that you, to be crucified on, the actual thing that they would perform the execution of crucifixion on. You must pick that up and you must follow me on the path that I am on. Verse 25, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul. For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Michael Jackson has died recently. Just a few stats on Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was quoted as the single most successful entertainer in history. He sold over a hundred, no, excuse me, not a hundred, a hundred, uh, I'm sorry, 750 million copies of his records he sold. Single most successful entertainer in the history. The man died in debt, on drugs, living in a rented mansion. Britney Spears, who last year was recorded to make over $35 million, has sold over 100 million copies. Uh, in 07, she was making $732,868 a month. And Rolling Stones quoted Britney Spears to be more than any other star today. Britney epitomizes the crucible of fame for the famous, loving it, hating it, and never quite being able to stop it from destroying you. Our children are growing up in a society today that still breathes for the American dream. Drugs, sex, and money. Two of the most successful people in those areas one is dead and the other is that how we want our daughters to grow up? 
Jesus says, what profit if you gain the whole world but yet forfeit your soul? Let's go to 1 John. really like the book of John because he's easy to read. And he seems like he's probably a nice guy. Chapter 2 of verse 15, it says, Do not love the world for anything in the world. For anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Verse 17, The world and its desires are passing away, but the man who does the will of God will live into eternity. The world and its lusts, the cravings of, and those who are aligned and bound with that are passing away. Will be done away with, will be gone. But yet the man who does the will of God, who responds to who God is, who responds to God's call in their life, who denies himself and takes up his cross and begins to follow on the path of Jesus, will live into eternity. But yet, we hammer into our children as we teach them, Romans 6.23, that the gift of God, the free gift of God, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. And we will stand at VBSs and we will yell free, and we will yell free, and we will yell free. The problem is the word free is not in the passage. Actually, the word free is back in Romans 3.24, and it's not an adjective, it's an adverb that is freely. That God has freely done this. God of His own will has made grace available to us. For us to respond to who God is, yes, in faith, not of our own power, not of our own doing. But as James says, a faith claim with no action is dead, is useless, is worthless. And John says the things of the world, the things that we buy into, the things that our societies say to our children, grow up, educate yourself, do what you have to do to succeed in life, to have the things, to have the money, to have the relationships that will make you happy, are passing away. But to have a relationship with God is to respond to who He is, to His Word, to say, I am not going to buy in. I am not going to pursue the lust of the world and of the eyes and what society says, this is life. This is fulfillment. And to take up and deny myself and take up my object of crucifixion and walk behind Jesus. John says plainly that, that that is the one who will live into eternity. In chapter 2, verse 3, says, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in Him. Whoever claims to... Live in Him, was walk as Jesus walked. Verse 6 is a rough, a rough sentence to translate. Basically, it says, the one who says, I know Jesus, the one that says, I live 
within Jesus' sphere of influence is obligated. It's not an encouragement. It's not a request. It's not a suggestion. John says the one who has aligned himself with Jesus is obligated, is indebted to walk around the same way Jesus walks around. To truly make a faith claim, to align yourself with Jesus, is not to answer the question, do you believe in God? Yes. It's not to answer the question, are you a Christian? Yes. To make a faith claim is to truly live out in response to who God is in your life. It is to love your neighbors. It is to love God above yourself. It is to respond in love when we have been hated. It is to walk out and it is to share Jesus with those around us. It is to live differently from the world. And whoever claims to live in Him is obligated, is obligated to walk around as Jesus walked around. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul says that we are to daily offer ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, as our worship to God. To daily offer ourselves on the altar as a sacrifice for the furthering and worshiping of God in His kingdom. Do we do that on a daily basis? We honestly, as folks who claim the name of Jesus in alignment with Jesus in America today, do we do that on a daily basis? Maybe the problem is we may claim Jesus, but we don't know how it is that we're supposed to respond to God. We don't know what it is that God's saying. If we go back to James 1, you don't have to flip there. James 1, 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to him. We have a question about what needs to be done. We ask God. We were at camp this last week and we were at Shepherd of the Ozarks, which is in the Ozark Mountains. And we were kind of down in a hole and so there was no phone reception. Every day I would drive up this hill twice a day and I would call my wife. And so on, I think it was Wednesday, I'd driven up and it was in the afternoon. I called my wife and she was on her way home from work and had just pulled in the driveway. And I hadn't talked to my daughter, who was three and a half, three and a half her name is Tanner. Uh, I hadn't talked to Tanner in, since Sunday. So it had been four days since I'd spoken to my daughter. And so Ryan and I were talking. She said, hey, I just got home, and Tanner's out here. Do you want to talk to her? I said, absolutely. Tanner got on the phone, and she said, hey, Daddy. And I said, hey, baby, I love you. And she, I hear her take the phone away, and she says, that's not my daddy. <laughs> so my first question at camp, nine hours away from home, was, uh, Ryan, can we talk? I convince her that, uh, no, that's your daddy. And so she gets on the phone, and then she starts talking to me about the cotton candy she wanted me to bring her home, um, which kind of ties into this, but we won't go into that. Tanner had not heard from me since Sunday. And as a three-and-a-half-year-old, by Wednesday, she did not recognize my voice. That's a three-and-a-half-year-old. It's not a big deal. Some of us do not consistently spend enough time with God to be able to hear his voice, to respond to God's call. And that's on us. 
And one of our jobs as followers of Christ is to spend time daily with Him. To have a relationship with Him so that we can respond to what does He say. If we just look in His Word, we see the, the other commands that we need to look at. Matthew 22 are the two greatest commandments we have. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. John addresses that issue uh, in, chapter, in chapter 2, 7 through 11, talking about the one who says that I, again, know Jesus, but yet hates his brother, is a liar. And there's no truth in him. Not only that, but he's walking around in the darkness because the darkness has blinded him. And he doesn't know where he's going. Even though he may say, I know Jesus. Even though he may say, I believe in. But yet he has no response. He doesn't align himself with God's word, with God's commands, with what Jesus has said. This is what it means to follow me. Last passage we're going to look at is uh, chapter 2, verse 28. John writes, he says, And now, my children, continue in him, so that when he appears... We may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. What is it to have a relationship with God via Jesus Christ? It is to respond to God's call, to what God says, to God's commands. It is to actively live out what it is that we say that we believe. Because if we do not John says that we are liars and there's no truth in us. When we do align ourselves, when we do live that out, when we put ourselves in a position to respond to God, to hear from God, to respond to Him, and we live out what it is that we claim that we believe, we will have confidence on the day of His appearing. As Paul says, when face to face with Jesus, Because those who do not will be put to shame by His appearing. But rather, let us live in a way that we might have confidence on the day of His appearing. Let us live in a way that God might grant others repentance that leads to the knowledge of the truth so that they might escape the snare of the devil having been held captive by Him to do His will May we live in a way that others will take up a cross and say, I'm going to move from this path that I'm on now and I'm going to walk behind Jesus. May we live in a way that shows I have a relationship with God. And my worship to Him is not dead. May God bless and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you. And may He grant you grace and peace. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to You now and just thank You for another day to worship You. I thank You for another day to live. I thank You for the grace that You have made available to us. You are holy and You are mighty and You are God. Praise that we go out today, Lord, that You will walk with us, talk with us, and help us to respond to You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.